We're going to get into our study this morning. Our usual bread and butter, our way of doing things here is usually just to move right through books of the Bible. We recently finished the New Testament book of Galatians. We're actually going to move on next week and do a study and look at just the supernatural aspects of the Christian life, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of prayer, the gifts that God gives us to minister in his name, all those things. Um, But Easter is a time to pause and focus directly on things of significance that we celebrate today, on the resurrection of Christ 2,000 years ago. But as I was reflecting and looking for a text, I landed on one that's not so much not so much focused on that Sunday morning following Christ's crucifixion, but one a little bit earlier in the Gospel of John. And the reason was because this hasn't been a usual year. And so I wanted to look for similar circumstances. I wanted to hear, if you will, again, the good news of Easter for us today in a year like this. And so for that reason, I'd like to turn to John chapter 11. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to the Gospel of John chapter 11. Let me set the stage here. As Jesus went about doing his ministry... He had many disciples, not just the twelve that we know as the disciples or the apostles, but a a larger group of people who believed in him, supported his ministry, traveled with him, um, listened to him, learned of him. In fact, by the time we get to Pentecost, 120 of these believers are gathered together in a single room. That's the beginning of the church right there. Within this group of 120 is a particular family, Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. And Lazarus, Mary, and Martha all appear at different occasions across the course of the gospel, but it's clear they are very, very close to Jesus. And what happens here is Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick. Lazarus lives in the outskirts, the suburbs of Jerusalem, in a little place called Bethany. Jesus is off in Galilee. He hears about this, and instead of heading straight there... He delays. He waits a couple of days. By the time he shows up, Lazarus has died of his illness. And so where we're picking up the story today, Martha, one of the sisters, comes to Jesus as he comes into town and both greets him and has this emotional conversation with him right on the cusp of just days after her brother has died. Now, if you're familiar with this passage, by the end of the story, Lazarus is no longer dead. Jesus is going to raise Lazarus back to life. In fact, this becomes not only one of his most significant miracles, but also the nail in the coffin, no pun intended, um, for the religious leaders seeking to put him to death. And not just him, but Lazarus, this walking, breathing testimony of the miraculous. Now, as I read this passage, I want you to scrub away the ending of the story. I want you to read it with fresh eyes this morning. And I want you to hear where Martha's really at. 
I want you to hear who Martha really is as she has this conversation with Jesus. So let's pick up in verse, six, uh, verse 17, and we're just going to read 10 verses through 27 here. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes, though he dies, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Let's pray. Father John tells us at the end of this book that there's many things he could have written that Jesus said and did. Books upon books worth of things. But these things... He has written so that we would know that Jesus is the Messiah and by believing in him, have life. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to accomplish John's purpose this morning, that your spirit would guide us in knowing who Jesus is. For those of us who know him already, I pray, Lord, that you would increase our faith this morning. And for those who have not yet met Your Son, I pray, God, that your Spirit would stir in them, reveal who Christ is to their hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just want to look at a few different things. I want to look at this, if you will, from a few different angles this morning. But as I mentioned, I want to start by focusing on Martha. I want you to notice what she says when she comes to Jesus. First, she hears that Jesus is on the edge of town, and she, she just gets up and leaves and goes straight to him. And notice what she says, verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, that's a significant statement, right? She recognizes that the difference between life and death was just the presence of Jesus. That if he had just arrived, Lazarus would have been healed. Martha has had extensive first-hand experience of this reality. She's seen how the blind see and the lame walk. She's seen how Jesus marches into a room where a woman lies dying and he raises her back and she's fully healed. She's seen these things. One of the things that I think we need to wrap our head around here is that Martha comes as a person of faith. She is a believer. And to be honest, she gives the disciples a run for their money of really understanding who Jesus is. Like many of the women in John's gospel, she seems to have stronger perception of who Jesus is and what it all means than the disciples who are often caught bickering in their misunderstanding. 
And so she comes and she says, Lord, if only you had been here. But more than that, I want you to notice that she, she's not just a believer in Jesus. She's a believer in the scriptures. Jesus responds to this statement. If, if you had been here, Lazarus would have not died. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. She says, oh, I know that. Right? Look at what she says there in verse 24. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Why does she know that? Because that's what the scriptures say. She's familiar with the teachings that come out of Daniel and Isaiah, that God's plan involves the setting of all things right and the raising of all the dead unto life. She knows this. And to be honest, that's a significant comfort in the death of her brother. It's part of the reason why Paul later says that we as Christians should not mourn those who have died as those without hope. She has a significant hope here. But today, in the midst of her grief, it's a little bit cold. It's just the doctrine. It's, it's helpful in the long run. It's not that she doesn't have hope. She clearly does. But notice how she kind of brushes Jesus away. And the truth is, if you've lost someone and put on a funeral or a memorial, you know how these conversations go. You know how trite sayings seem to sneak into every conversation so people can just avoid the pain of death. And so here you are experiencing great loss and someone says they're in a better place and you think to yourself, what good is that to me? It's, it's my loss. They're not with me. That's where the pain is. Right? The, this reality seems so clear for her and so she, she's not disrespectful of Jesus in any means. But it's hard not to hear at least an edge of, yes, yes, I know, I know, as if she's been hearing it all day, because she probably has. But more than that, notice also here that even the fact that Jesus didn't arrive doesn't change her belief in Jesus. Maybe you've experienced this, right? When you go through something so horrific, so difficult, so hard to wrap your head around, so painful, and you, you don't just say, where was God? But is God at all? Right? You make that transition from, why did this happen? God, why did you let this happen? To, God, if you were real, this wouldn't have happened at all. But, but notice how strong her faith is. Look at what she says in verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now, there's two possibilities here. One is, she's propositioning Jesus to raise her brother from the dead. Right? And if you're familiar with the story, it's easy to read it that way. But I don't think that's the case. And the reason is because when Jesus asks for the stone to be rolled away, it's Martha who raises the objection. Look at uh, further down in the chapter here, um, in verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to her, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for you. He's been dead four days. That's not the statement of expectation. So what is she really saying then when she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Nevertheless, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Her faith in Jesus hasn't wavered in this loss. She knows Jesus could have made a difference if he had been there, but it doesn't detract from his character or his identity at all. That's strong faith. Maybe some of us have tasted a similar faith where we have to say, like Job, 
the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Martha is a deep believer in Jesus. In fact, after this conversation, one more place I want you to see is her testimony in verse 27. He asks her after laying out his statement, do you believe this? And look at how she responds. She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Unwavering faith, truly knowing who Jesus is. Now, she uses two terms there, the Christ. That's just a Greek version of the word Messiah. She says, yes, Lord, I know you're the one that the scriptures and the prophets pointed to. Yes, Lord, I know that you are the one, the son of David, who was to come to set things right. Yes, Lord, I know that you are the one who will save Israel. And then she identifies him as the son of God. Now, if you read the Gospel of John, this language for Jesus, that he identified himself as the son of God, is the reason he dies. It can be easy to reduce this language down to Jesus just being in a very close relationship with God. Or to miss it in the fact that we have a tendency to talk about people, human beings in general, as all God's children. But the title here has such a significant divine aspect that when Jesus identifies himself as God's son, just a chapter before this, he's almost killed on the spot. Now, I promise you, Martha knows what these words mean just as much as the religious leaders of Jesus' day. She knows that Jesus is the promised coming Messiah, but more than that, he is the Son of God. She's a believer. So for those of us who are here this morning, as always, it's good to take Martha as an example. I know there's that other story where she's working while Mary makes the better choice. But she's a powerful believer in her own life. In fact, her testimony is recorded here as one of seven testimonies in the Gospel of John for your benefit. She wants to give you eyewitness explanation of who Jesus is. Just like John the Baptist in chapter 1, Nathaniel in chapter 2, and so on and so forth. That's for you. But in all that she gets right... All that she knows, Jesus still surprises her. What Jesus means is deeper than she understands. What Jesus is capable of. And I want to show it to you in two different ways this morning. The first one, I want you to notice, Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And what is her response again in verse 24? I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus makes a statement and she says, yes, I know at the end of all time, he will be raised along with the other righteous. She says, yes, I know that there's another life. Yes, I know that death isn't the end. She knows these things. But she doesn't know that there's life present tense. She doesn't know that Jesus is capable about doing something about death right now. She doesn't know that the presence of Jesus at the sickbed is equal to the presence of Jesus in the graveyard. And to be fair, I think we would all classify ourselves in the same category. So 
See, for her, the hope of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, is a far-off, distant hope. Doesn't mean it's not a hope. It's there, it's solid, real, but it's for them. But very clearly, as we see this morning, the identity of Jesus Christ is for today. God is capable of working through Jesus Christ today. Not just bringing your bad circumstances to an end, or overcoming them in the final and wiping away every tear, but truly and fully capable of changing them here and now. In fact, the thing that Martha is wrestling with here is not even the power of God, it's the plan of God. She knows Jesus can do things, but why didn't he come? Her faith in Jesus' identity isn't shaken, but nevertheless, here I am, in dust and ashes. What's fascinating to me here is that three times in John chapter 11, Jesus explains his reason for his plan. Because I don't know if you've noticed this before, but he delays on purpose. And even before his disciples realize that Lazarus has died, Jesus knows it. He actually says, we can't show up until the funeral. That's the plan. I'll show you what I mean. Look in chapter 11, verse 3. Lazarus is ill, so the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he who loves you is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Now, let me tell you up front, Jesus knows that he's going to find Lazarus in the tomb. We'll see that very clearly in just a minute. But notice what he says. He says, he says this illness is what? For the glory of God. Why doesn't he show up and set things right before the death? He says here it's bound up in God's glory. To make manifest who God really is. That he's not just the God who heals the ill but raises the dead. Then notice again, here in verse 11, he's talking with his disciples. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Right? Just good motherly advice for sickness. Okay. Verse 13, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. And Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. Now, what if, we just, what if we just took that sentence, and that was all the scripture we had? Would that be hard to swallow? Here is the representative of God on earth, and he says, Lazarus has died, and I'm so glad I wasn't around. But notice what he says. Again, he explains his purpose. He says, for your sake, my disciples... I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. Now, just like Mary, just like Martha, the disciples believe in Jesus. In fact, just before this, they say, hey, Jesus, Jerusalem is not really a safe place for you right now. And Jesus says, I got to go. I got a job to do. And they decide to go with him and put their life on the line. Now, when the rubber meets the road, they're going to deal with their own fear and cowardice. All of that's true, but they believe in Jesus. So what does he mean here when he says, I'm, I'm so glad this happened so that you may believe? He means believe more. Believe more fully. Believe more deeply. 
He doesn't want the disciples just to have a general idea of who Jesus is. He wants them to have a deepening experience of who Jesus is. Okay, so we've seen two purposes. For the glory of God, so that you, my disciples, may believe. And then notice, at the tomb itself, as he says in verse 41. He says, so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, praying aloud, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Okay, so what do we learn here? Not just for Martha, not just for the disciples, but for the funeral attenders. Those who had come all around, many of whom had probably never met or heard of Jesus, who weren't there to see Jesus, but to mourn and comfort Mary and Martha. But Jesus recognizes here they're a captive audience, and he prays, knowing that they're watching, and prays so that they might believe. And we could have spent the entire morning just reflecting on those three thinking about the reality of what's going on. But what I want to point you to this morning is that what Christianity presents to us, and although I'm talking to you who may not be Christians who are visiting, I want you to recognize, church, that I'm talking primarily to you. We're not talking about Zacchaeus, who's just figuring out Jesus for the first time this morning. We're talking about Martha, who knows Jesus. I'm talking about for us as a church, recognize that one of the reasons Jesus came is not just for the afterlife or the next life or for hope that can't be defeated right now. It's so that he can work in your life right now. Lord, I know that he will rise again in latter days. But Jesus has plans for the moment. And he's just as sovereign in the holding off of the accomplishing of those plans, right? He could have been at the sickbed, but he wasn't. For the glory of God. So that you might believe. So that all might see and know and believe themselves. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't want to show up and work and do things. What Jesus says next is, I am the resurrection and the life. And for now, we're going to return to that in just a second. For now, I just want you to recognize that that's in the present tense. And when Jesus said that 2,000 years ago at the tomb of Lazarus, he could just as easily say it right now. Now, obviously, he wouldn't have said 2,000 years ago, and it wouldn't have been recorded, I was the resurrection and the life. But across the Gospel of John, when Jesus uses I am, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, and in one place, I am. He's drawing our attention back to the Old Testament. Again, pointing to the divine nature of his reality. But remember that that I am that's given to Moses is given because God is consistent yesterday, today, and forever. He is the eternal I am. He will never be I was. And he will never be I will be. He is always I am. And so when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, that means that there is present hope for us today. That God can move and work. That all things are possible with God. I fear that for some of us, 
The resurrection is a doctrine that looks back 2,000 years and looks forward to the end of all things and has no real significance for today. But Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And he can do abundantly beyond what we ask or even imagine. The second thing I want you to notice is that for Martha, the resurrection is primarily a doctrine. She says, I know. But look at how Jesus responds. Verse 24, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. It is so much more than saying, I can raise Lazarus. He doesn't say, I have resurrection and the life. She's thinking primarily in terms of doctrine. And Jesus recalibrates and says, no, 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 no. Think personally. Think relationally. When we talk about Easter, it's not just he has risen. And it's not just therefore we will raise. It is we know him who is the resurrection and the life. Now this is an easy thing to miss if you're not a Christian. Because oftentimes the understanding that the church has imparted to Christianity or the understanding that you get just from cultural experience of it is that Christianity is basically about believing a particular thing that leads to a particular result. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins, you will be saved. And so what happens then is people are quite happy to receive that and accept that and then just go on as if nothing has changed. But what Jesus brings up here when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, it instigates a new relationship. Not just one that has relevance for today like we talked about a second ago, but one that is personal. This is what Jonathan Edwards means when he says, there's a difference between knowing that honey is sweet and tasting of it yourself. Do you know the resurrection and the life? And if you look, if you read closely the New Testament, if you follow the stories of the 12 disciples who are here and what happens next in the book of Acts, if you read the letters of Paul and those who encounter, like Paul did, the resurrection and the life, blocking his road and appearing to him, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? What you find is not just my life has changed because I have new information. It's my life has changed because I'm walking with a new Lord and Savior. As we saw last week, what does Paul say in Philippians? I count all in my life as rubbish in comparison to knowing what? To knowing the truth? To knowing the gospel? To knowing Him? Listen to what he says again. And again... Especially if you're not a Christian this morning, will you hear the audacity of Jesus' claim? Listen. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Muhammad Ali never made a claim of such audacity. I am the resurrection and the life. And then notice how he continues. Whoever believes in me, 
Notice again, not just believes in what I say, not just believes the right things about me. It's not just faith, it's trust, right? It's personal. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, how do those two things fit together? Because at first reading, those two things seem to cancel each other out. How can he say, even if he dies, he will live, and then the next one say, and anyone lives shall never die? Which is it? I think the best way to read this is as a progression. What he says here is those who believe in him, even though they're going to die just like everyone else, that's not the end of the story. They will continue to live. And from that point, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. When Jesus says he's the resurrection and the life, that means there's a life after death, but it also means that there's a life, 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 life after death and no more death. In fact, what, what Jesus says here is so significant in the context, because let me point out the obvious. When he raises Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus dies again. Right? What, what he does here for Lazarus is beautiful, it's helpful. Mary and Martha seem to be single women, and so, so Lazarus' presence greatly improves their life, let alone the relational aspect of still having their brother around. But he dies again, and that's why I didn't have him as a guest speaker this morning. But even that death was just something he passed through. The truth in Lazarus is not that he died and then he lived and then he died again. It's that he died and then he lived and then he died and then he lives again. Present tense. When he says here, I am the resurrection and the life, the resurrection is that first one. Even though you die, yet you will live. That's resurrection. And when he says he is the life, no modifier, that means no more death. Jesus is all those things. We experience them as Christians in connection with him, in union with him. As Paul says in Romans chapter 6, For as many as have been baptized into Jesus' death, so also they now walk in newness of life. It's not on your own, nor is it something that God has just handed you and walked away. You are hand in hand with Jesus who is the life. One of the things that I love about the Gospel of John is it's such a good corrective for the way that we as Christians often talk about eternal life. We often talk about eternal life as something we will receive. We have this life, and then we have eternal life. And that's, again, good news. It's hopeful. Resurrection in the last day is good news. But the way that Jesus talks about eternal life in John is in the present tense. It's not something we will receive. It's something you have as soon as you know Jesus. Because as he says here, if you believe in me, though you die, you should still live. Eternal life is not something you have coming. It's something that starts as soon as you believe in Jesus and will be eternal from this point on. More significantly, as we've seen here, eternal isn't just a quantity, but it's a quality of life. It's life with the God who is life. I want you to read this again, and I want to draw your attention to the question that Jesus asks at the end of this. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? 
clearly, Jesus is doing one-on-one counseling. And there's a sense that this conversation here is recorded for us, but it was very much for Martha. But it is hard, is it not, to read that question and leave it on the page as merely being relevant for others? In fact, I think it's appropriate to hear that question resounding even to this point in time, to this side of the world, and asking us all this morning, do you believe this? And why do I say that? Because Jesus doesn't say, I am the resurrection and the life, and if you, Martha, believe in me, even though you die, you shall let me live. He says, whoever. He says, whoever. What Jesus articulates here is relevant for us today. The statement that he makes is true for us today. Then why wouldn't the question be? Do you believe this? Listen to Martha's response. Again, remembering that this is a witness for us this morning. She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. I'd like to make just a slight change in our vocabulary this morning. I'd like to celebrate this Easter with a slight modification in grammar. Not just Jesus has risen, but Jesus is risen. Like in the saying, he is risen, he is risen indeed. Not just Jesus was resurrected, but Jesus is alive. And I'd like you to recognize this morning, secondarily, that Easter and the doctrine that comes to it or comes from it, of resurrection, of eternal life, of the good news and the gospel. I want you to remember afresh and new that it is a personal invitation, not just to accept what God did then in Jesus Christ and what God will do one day because you believe in him, but that God today is inviting you into relationship with him. Some of you for the first time. Others of you, just another day of life with the resurrection in the life. Now let me just put it in our context. I don't know how many of you have lost someone during COVID. I don't know what contours the hardness of this life takes. But I do know that the heart of Martha in this passage resonates with my own. I do know that I found questions similar to hers in my own heart this year. Lord, if you had been here, Or, Lord, where are you? Why did it have to be this way? Why couldn't you just hold back the floodgates of this virus, or the violence, or the racial tension, or the entire list of things that have made this year difficult? If this morning, your life feels like a tomb newly occupied, Remember that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Remember that he is present and working here and now. And sometimes he will change the circumstances miraculously. He is capable of doing so to the glory of God 
to increase your belief and as a testimony to others. But remember, even when he doesn't, even if he doesn't show up in that way, he is already present and he is already the resurrection and the life. And that is now, not for later. I have a reputation in my family for never letting dessert be dessert. We're going to head to my parents in Yakima today. If there's a plate of cookies and I find it, I will start it. (laughs) For me, that's because celebration isn't something you do at the end of the meal. What I would suggest to you is, no matter how much we envision worshiping God for all eternity because of what he has done, can do it right here and right now. It's not that it will be true. It is true. Let's pray. Father, we are all caught in the tension between the now and the not yet. Between the inauguration of the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ and and our longing for its consummation. We all recognize, Lord, that we have tasted, but not yet had our fill of what we have in Jesus Christ. That we see now, we do see, although it be in a mirror dimly, but one day it will be face to face. Lord, we know that this is where we live, but I pray that our lives would be qualified by the fact that you are the resurrection and the life. That it would be our daily experience. I pray that you would give us eyes to see where you were working. And when we notice your absence, that like Martha, we would come to you. And we would allow you to speak into those circumstances, not merely to change them, but to change our understanding of who you are. And I I pray, Lord, that you would help us even today to recognize that you, yourself, Jesus, you are the good news. That you are not just the one who saved us, but our Savior. That you are not just a sovereign king, but our Lord. We have been adopted into the family of God, and we can experience that now. Father, we believe. Help our unbelief. And if you're here this morning and you do not yet know Jesus, the question that he asks is just as open to you as it was to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes this, believes in me, though he die, yet he will live. And as long as he believes in me, he shall never die. Do you believe this? If you can answer with Martha, yes, Lord. Do so. Respond now. Enter into a life with the God who is life. Surrender over the places where your life is full of death and entrust that death to the one who raises the dead. We praise you and worship you this morning. We ask God, just as it was, in the days of Martha and Lazarus, that in our life today, that you would be glorified, that our belief would increase, 
and that you would use our lives as a testimony to a watching world that you are. Pray this in your name.